Hi, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of Attendance Bias. I am your host, Brian Weinstein, and Happy New Year to you all. It's been just over a week from Fish's New Year's Eve run at Madison Square Garden, but it is all still sinking in. Even just the gag is taking a lot for me to process. But as usual, after big fish runs or events, I'm here today with a special guest, Jay Dubs from the Stub Me Down podcast for a recap of Fish's four-night run at Madison Square Garden from December 28th to 31st. Now, four shows is a lot to cover, so today's episode is a little bit longer than usual, and we don't stick only exclusively to the music, but we talk about our thoughts about current Fish rumors, we talk about what it's like to be in Manhattan for four nights, uh, what our Madison Square Garden routines are, where to sit in the venue, and so on and so forth, but I promise we did our best to stay on point. I'm not going to take up too much time here in the intro. I'm sure we want to get to the main affair. So please join myself and JW from the Stub Me Down podcast for a recap of Fish at Madison Square Garden, New Year's Eve run, 2022. J-Dubs, how you doing? Awake yet? Hey, Brian. I'm getting there, man. I'm getting there. I think the hardest thing for me has been trying to sleep. (laughs) (laughs) like I figured I'd come home and crash out, but I had been lying in bed awake every night since, I mean, it's only been two nights, but um, I have not gotten much sleep and I'm still processing the four nights and the music and our days and our nights. And so yeah, I'm getting there, man. It's hard to believe that it's January, 2023 already, bro. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, well, fish kind of slows things down sometimes. You know, the run lasts, it feels like forever during a four-night fish run, especially in New York City. The days just take forever to go by. But once it's over, it already feels like forever ago. Yeah, it's Even true. though it's only been a couple days, for anyone listening, it is just the 3rd of January. So we are recording this recap of the fish 2022 to 2023 New Year's run very hot off the presses pretty quickly after the shows are over. And as you've figured out by now, we got JW from the Stub Me Down podcast. I'm Brian from Attendance Bias. And we're just going to do a quick recap. For those of you who have listened in the past, we've done this before on New Year's runs for Atlantic City runs. So this will be quick and dirty, not too much detail, not too much uh, anything really, just overall thoughts. Well, first of all, the the one thing that's different about this time Brian is uh, the absence of Skinny, the other mm-hmm. half of, of Stub Me Down, who was not in attendance for this run. He was on the Afterfish After Show on Wook Plus and talked about the 30th with those guys. Um, so it was good to see. I mean, I was kind of surprised he stayed up that late to uh, to do that. But um, it was fun to hear those guys bullshit about the show uh, immediately afterwards. Man, heading into this run, we were amped. We had me, we, when I say we, is uh, me and my wife, and we got um skunked on our dicks trip we had to cancel our dicks trip last minute we were going out there for three or four there and then my wife when fish was playing msg for the april new years we had a similar situation that she actually left so we were going to these four nights just uh, 
busting at the seams with excitement that we're going to be in New York City. It's just the two of us. We have tickets to all four. Like everything just came together. So we had a ton of excitement. Fish at MSG is, I mean, it's one of the best places for me to experience them. And I had a little bit of a different experience this year than I have in years past with fish, which we'll get into in a little bit. But um, I just love being in that room, hearing them play. And so we went in with a lot of anticipation. I will say we were not disappointed in the slightest. Uh, Every night we had just such an amazing time with not only the crowd and the people around us, but the music, the experiences that we had just in New York City pre and post show. And, you know, it was, it was uh, a quintessential fish experience for, for us. And, um, you know, I still think about it now and I'm like, man, did that really happen? (laughs) You know, it's, it's, it is, it's a lot to process. And there was a shitload of music and a lot of great music. I try not to go into, (laughs) you know, I expect to have a good time and that's pretty much it, you know? I'm getting better at that. I'm getting better, not at having a good time necessarily, but I'm getting better at uh, at, at trying to come in without expectations. That plagued me for probably about 20 years. And so I've really, I think, reached a point where I could just walk into a show in a very casual manner, especially once at Madison Square Garden. I live in New York City. The train that is my stop, the Forest Hills train station, is literally a 12 to 15 minute straight shot to Penn Station, to Madison Square Garden. So I am blessed or maybe cursed, depending on the way you look at it, with being able to treat fish at Madison Square Garden as a very casual, matter of fact way. Yeah. To me, it's not a big deal, especially because it's so expected every year. And that's well, not a humble brag. It just, it, it's kind of gotten to the point where. Yeah, I don't need to leave or get the train until 6.50, and I'll still get to my seat by 7.30. Well, and the other thing, Brian, is you don't need to spend $400 for a hotel room, and you can eat the food in your fridge and your pregame is, you know, on your couch or what, you know, however you set it up. So, I mean, it is a different experience. I was seeing some commentary online about the potential of a, you know, Baker's done or sweet 16 or whatever the rumors are for this summer and people on, you know, unhappy about it. And then other fans were like, well, for people that live like in and around New York, like that's actually pretty awesome. That ability to get in and out of MSG and be home in, you know, under 20 minutes is, I mean, that's pretty cool. (laughs) There's a lot to chew on. That is at the very end of my notes to ask your opinion about that rumor. So we'll get, we'll, we'll come back. Around. Yeah, we'll get there. Uh, but overall, big picture, zooming out from our personal experiences, uh, looking into the 2022 New Year's Eve run. First thing I wanted to bring up that it was very apparent is that aside from New Year's Eve itself, December 31st, this ticket situation, man, it was a buyer's market all the way. I cannot understand how so many people bought four night passes and then tried to get rid of them almost instantly after the on sale. It seemed like within an hour of the emails rolling in from tickets by mail and then the Ticketmaster on sale, four night pass available all four nights. And then it was just another couple of weeks until 
Fortnite Pass is available, less than face, and then it's buy one, get one. I did our ticket situation was a little bit weird that for this, a buddy of mine and his girlfriend both put in for four night passes and they both hit. So he, he texted me and he was like, and this was before the onset. And he's like, Hey, we, me and my girlfriend both hit on our ticket request. Do you want one of the pair? And I said, yep. I mean, that was it. We're set with tickets in the two hundreds. And then we get there and it's in row 20, which you and I exchanged a couple of messages about uh, over the weekend. And the sky bridge is like this huge, awful obstruction. And, you know, we made the best of it and we were up there for two and a half nights. And we, we ended up upgrading for New Year's Eve and we were able to go and sit with some other people on uh, the 29th. And we also had some friends that like hopped in the car one, one morning um, on, let's see, I think the 29th and drove up from Baltimore. They're like, oh, we're coming up. They found tickets in the 100s on the way to the show. So I knew that there were tickets available. I was looking every day on cash or trade to see what the market was looking like. Because if I could find a one a set of 100s for up, us to move up, you know, for any of the nights I was looking for that. You know, the ticket experience with fish has has it's always been this ebb and flow though. You know, there have been times where like it doesn't matter what show or venue you're going to, you'd be able to get a ticket. But then there's times where you know, you're scouring, you know, and like we, I am fortunate that we have a network now after seeing the band for as many years and fish Twitter is also like pretty legit when you've got tickets, you know, available or you're looking like people help you out there, but this, the ticket scene itself, I, I just don't know what the answer is. You know, the, the fact that there aren't paper tickets, I think it's a huge mistake as like a business model, but I also think it's a huge, it, it puts the fans at a huge disadvantage. I mean, not being able to split up those four day passes, you know, and like if somebody was just selling one night of that, they're like, well, I have to meet you and walk you into the venue with my phone to, to get you in. Yeah. That's, it's a really difficult position to be put in uh, two friends of mine who had tickets for the 30th decided for i'm sure a number of reasons i didn't want to pry uh that they couldn't go and they told me in advance but on the day of the 30th they messaged me and asked if i would be able to try and sell them uh, and they said they gave me permission to miracle them because of the way that the ticket market looked that day and the thing that got to me though is my one of my friends texted me and said can you try to make sure that they go to someone who looks like they'll use it like to someone cool someone who you trust and my first thought, I wrote back to her and I said, with these digital tickets, it's really hard to know who you're selling it to. There's really no other way. You don't have any <laughs> but, clue, man. Yeah. But to your point, because of this podcast community, because of the Twitter fish community, I was able to get in touch with someone through someone who I trusted, which is the closest I suppose I could get. And I, fingers crossed, got those extras to someone who I hope enjoyed them. And then the band dinging you for if you want like a commemorative ticket stub. I mean, that's just yeah, that's insulting. 
That's a lot. I don't, I don't feel bad about saying that. That's an yeah. insult. I mean, you're spending over a hundred dollars now for you know an upper level, you know, ticket. And come on, give me the fucking piece of paper. Can y'all tell that? It's still just a couple days after New Year's that we're still not fully awake and in our best yeah. selves. Yeah. <laughs> um, looking at New Year's Eve or at least the New Year's run going into it, it sounds like you had a really rough 2022 in terms of your plans for shows not coming through. Um, I only saw the Atlantic City shows. Those were the only ones that I was able to make this year. I uh, I didn't int- intend to go to any other ones. I felt like I missed out on a lot on a big summer tour for good reason. I got married and then went on a long honeymoon. The dates were exactly the same as fish tour. So I missed all of the shows. So Is then what that- did you, so what did you think going in then? Were you, I mean, y- you had seen Atlantic city. I'm sure you lo- listened to at least a smattering of other shows throughout yeah. the, so what was your, okay, I'm going in with this mindset. I didn't go in with any mindset. This is kind of what I was saying earlier about getting better of not having expectations or predetermined notions because I didn't know what the trends were. I knew that they were having big jams in unexpected places. You know, they had a big type two fluff headed at MSG and also at Alpine Valley. I know leaves at Jones Beach was one of the best jams of the year. And that's oh, yeah. certainly in an unexpected place. There's that extra part at the end of Golgi Apparatus that was added. Uh, the You Enjoy Myself. Yep. Extra second musical jam. jam. Yeah, the second yep. jam. And Trey's, I will use this word, Trey's silly high-pitched vocals. Uh, that uh, didn't on really stub me down that much. On stub me down, we call those trays vocal stylings. <laughs> oh well, it sounds a lot better than silly. <laughs> yeah, but but it, I, I didn't know what to expect. Uh, this kind of snuck up on me. The New Year's run. It felt a long time in coming, but work has been pretty rough this year, and I just kind of put my head down, got the tickets that I needed. I didn't have friends coming in from out of town, so I wasn't hosting anybody, which is unusual for when Fish plays in New York. We'll see what I say if they announce this uh, Baker's Dozen sequel. That might not yeah, be Yeah, what's true. your address up there, yeah, buddy? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I really just went in as casually as I mentioned earlier. It was show up, meet up with anyone who may be around, listen to the music, and take the train home. It was workmanlike, but very I mean, enjoyable. You know, if that's your job... You know, it's, it's not <laughs> I too wish. bad. Uh, um, but I also can say that I felt like the vibe it shows is better than it felt in 2021. Uh, this may be ignorant and a lot of people may disagree. I know everyone has their own situation, but this was the first year where things really feel in quotes back to normal hmm. since 2020. This felt like I could walk in and not think I didn't have to show proof of a vaccination. Yeah, that's true. You know, I, I did not wear a mask which doesn't isn't a confession or it's not a brag. It just is an observation. And I didn't feel at any point like I should, except when I stood behind a guy who was smoking cigarettes. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't. I felt pretty at ease with my right. choices. And I'll come back to you in five or six days as long as I'm feeling fine. But it felt pretty normal. And that in itself felt good. Like you said, it's been a crazy school year already. And, um, you know, there's a lot going on and, you know, to have that break and to go and do that, um, you know, it's tough, it's tough to find complaints, you know, New York's an expensive town. That's probably my biggest. 
Which is why I take the latest train possible. It's New York. It's expensive for the locals too. You know, yeah. it's, uh, but let's, let's get into it. So that yeah, first man. night, December 28th, I was not there. Uh, this is another stroke of luck that I was out in San Francisco visiting family. I mentioned earlier that I was married this summer and now it's time to go hang out with the in-laws and they are in the Bay area. The way the calendar shook out when we set up our visit, it was to leave out there. I think it was the 23rd, that Friday when Christmas break started for school and we wanted to spend a lot of time. We hadn't been out there. My wife is from San Francisco. She lives in New York now, obviously, but is from there. And she wants to go back there as often as possible. So we flew back on the 28th. So my opinion, I haven't even had the time to listen back to that show. The aggregate of what I could glean from social media posts and friends who were there is I had texts from friends saying, quote, you didn't miss anything. And that overall 1228 was standard great fish. I was on the plane continually refreshing fish.net and scrolling on Twitter, trying to put the set list together. And it looked like a really good one, but I haven't listened back. And the overall opinion that I heard from others is yeah, good fish show period. People will judge it based on, do they like the set list? Right? So for me, I thought that pretty much every night the band was really tight. I thought that they hit the technical stuff with the exception of one encore. They were loose. I They're so comfortable playing at MSG and they had a good mix of tunes as far as my tastes. And opening with Buried Alive, I thought was a great way. Always a good sign. A great sign, you know? And then- the Wolfman's was just a it was just a nice groove that got everybody kind of settled in. And then you had a couple of, you know, Maze Sigma Oasis. The Sigma Oasis is re- was really nice. And you Sigma Oasis is a tune that they've taken out a little bit um this year. So there was, I think, a little bit of anticipation that they might do something there. And then and then they kind of ended it. I really liked the steam that they played. The stash, though, is my highlight from this set, and it was really nice. My wife and I were driving up and we were listening to the Island Tour from 98, and we listened to that stash, and I was like, I feel like stash might be a good one. I actually had called it for them to open the whole run (laughs) with stash because it just got stuck in my head, but this was a nice version. They go a little bit type two-ish towards the end, but it had that loose, energetic, comfortable, like MSG feel. And if you've been there, you know kind of what what that means. And it's kind of hard to put to words, but you, you would know it if you felt it.
So I and then they absolutely didn't need to add that split open and melt at the end of the first set, but they did. And they nailed that too. And that was almost 13 minutes. So right at the end of the set, you had 30 minutes almost in those two jams that were really tight, really fun. And then, you know, you look at the second set, like the wave of hope went deep, but it was not really exploratory. It was kind of a standard straightforward. Um, it was just a little bit long, um, you know, for, for a wave of hope. I really like Pages, keys, and leaves, and then my favorite segment of the second set was the simple into uh, and the plasma. And it was just fun, energetic, um, good fish. And the next night was 1229, and I was pumped right from the get-go. So first of all, I was jet-lagged, but that didn't matter. Because you landed on the 29th? No, I landed on the 28th, but we okay. didn't get it. The timing was all messed up. Right, we, sure. You know, okay. We didn't get enough sleep. But I mean, still getting up the next day. And, and it's fish day. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> I woke up. And I was immediately, even though I was jet lagged, I was immediately super psyched because the 29th is the 25th anniversary of my first show. My first show is December 29th, 97, also at Madison Square Garden. And I also had a ticket for that night, almost the exact same seat as my first wow. show, the same section. That's cool. uh, It was all the way upstairs in the 400s behind the stage. That's so, cool. yeah, so it's cool. Uh, but I wasn't looking forward to that part, but I kind of accepted it. You know, we talked about fit. Um, there's a certain ticket market. There's, there's a certain, a certain symmetry, yes. certain symmetry yeah. to that. But anyway, so my seat was all the way upstairs behind the stage. But a friend texted me in the afternoon with a much better seat that he got for free. So he offered that to me and I miracled my 400s ticket. And I haven't been able to do that in many years to just miracle someone. And it felt amazing. It still feels great to be able to just find someone who needs a ticket and say to them, hey, does it matter where you're sitting? Because I have one that if you want it for free, it's yours. It just it's such a rush. Yeah. And uh, it, so that was great. I was feeling really excited. This was you know the first night that I was attending. So I really did wait till the last possible minute to take a train in. Like you said, I ate out of my fridge. It was very casual. And man, that opening segment of Fluffhead into your pet cat, into bathtub gin. It I wrote in capital letters, this will be amazing. Yeah. And the people who I was with 
were automatically telling me. I didn't even ask them. They said they were screaming, this is already better than last night. And I didn't ask them, but it was like all it took was three songs. Well, the fluff, <laughs> the fluff head was a monster. I mean, it was almost 20 minutes and they kind of like they did it with Deer Creek, obviously not for, uh, or was it Alpine the, where they just did the, no, it was Deer Creek. They just did, you know, a longer one with a little bit of a jam or a longer jam after the formal part of the song. Right. And they do that again here. They, the, the version itself is very good, very technically sound. There's no flubs. So, I mean, like, come on, they open a show with Fluffhead that sets a certain tone, you know? And, yeah. you know, it's funny that your pet cat, like, I feel like, I feel like the crowd egged Trey into that because he was playing. It sounded like that. And he, it didn't seem like he was committed to it. And then the crowd caught it a little bit. It sounded like, and then he was like, all right, fuck it. I'll play it. when the rest of the band picked up on it and Paige started hitting the samples. Um, well, for what it's worth, your pet cat, I mean, the the trend, not the transition, the progression of it, it's never that far away from their jamming style these days. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, yeah. And then the whole place is just like Fluffhead, then that, and then a 17-minute bathtub gin. Yeah, that bathtub gin, I... I was almost ready to call it the highlight of the night. It was only the third song in. It, it was just incredible. The there's it was so energetic, and this show I ha- I put a lot of weight on round numbers. It's a either just a quirk of mine or possibly a flaw of mine. You know, like oh, it's hundred your hundredth show. Oh, it's my twenty fifth anniversary. Whatever it is that we as a society why we ever put such emphasis on round numbers and divisions of 10 or fives. I don't know. I was, I was hoping for a great show, even though I didn't expect anything. I had, I had my little fingers crossed. Uh, and this bathtub gin made me feel like I already got my money's worth.
Well, and isn't it funny, dude, that sometimes that's all it takes is one song and then the rest of the show could be. And I look at the rest of this show, like, you know, then they do the Hey Stranger, which is a fish debut, right? And Trey's only played that a couple. I mean, he just debuted that earlier with Trey Band earlier in 2022. He did it when they did the Trey Band Goose Run. So I caught one there. And I like that tune. It's got a nice groove. But then the end of the set is the Tube Slave, which was less than seven. The Blazon was decent, um, but around 10. And, and you know, it was kind of a standard Blazon. It was fun. Um, I thought ready? the set was over. I thought I thought it was the second set. It felt like a second set. It felt like a second. I think I tweeted, this is a second set. I yeah. mean, it was, it, it, and the slave was a little bit short. The tube was really groovy. That was a super yeah. compact. I mean, they were jamming that thing out. It felt Very like very yeah. Um, And so it, it was, it was definitely a second set style first set. And it went, um, it felt like it went by in a snap. It felt yeah. like it went by right away. It felt like the house lights had just gone down. And the second set to me, just a few days later, is a little less memorable, but not due to any fault. I don't mean it as a as an insult or a criticism. It just wasn't as energetic as set one. You enjoy myself and Ruby Waves brought it big time. Well, so like I also like the Bowie opener, by the way. I like it because Bowie now tricks me when it's played as a set or a show closer, because I have all of these crazy big expectations from my past history. Oh my God, Bowie. And it doesn't live up to them anymore. So when it opens a set, I feel like there's so much more that could happen. The potential, or not. The potential right. is greater for and sure. And if it doesn't, but if it doesn't happen, it's all right. It's just a set opener. Right. It could be blaze on. It doesn't matter. <laughs> right. And then you're not like kind of bummed out at the end. Yeah. I don't feel let down. I, yeah, I thought the Bowie opener was great. And I meant one of the things I meant to do was to look and see how many times it's opened the second set, um, which I suppose I could It's do. not a lot. It's not a lot. And so I thought that that was unique right off the top. But the everything's right in this show was with that. That's my second set highlight. And everything's right has been a tune that just hits for me. Um, I've seen a bunch of bomb versions of this tune. Um, Dick's in twenty one in twenty twenty one, amazing version. Uh, on my twenty years later show, eight eight two thousand eighteen at Camden, they played a monster one. Um, so I have been very happy and fortunate to see everything's right. And I was thinking about this too, Brian, when I was listening to the. Um, uh, this version a little bit earlier today. One of the first conversations we had, I don't know, I, I don't know if it was when you, you stubbed us down or when we were on attendance bias the first time, but you talked about I, it was the light principle or the light yeah, corollary, the light corollary, the yes. light corollary, and how whatever song they like, it, they it, they jam in a certain way very well and consistently and everything's right for that fills that philosophy that that theory for me yeah basically the light corollary is whatever the newest song that i like the least always has the best jams <laughs> i mean i don't i don't dislike the song i i like the song and and it's i mean it's 
pretty basic. Everything's right, so just hold tight. <laughs> And I, so I thought that that jam was was a highlight. And then, you know, in early set, whether it's first or second, an early yam is always so much fun. Yeah. And I mean, this clocked in over eighteen. And the funny part about this second set was, um, I had been trying to catch up with Carl Gearhart actually. And he was to come and then he wasn't coming. And then like he texted me that day and he's like, well, I'm coming. And I was like, all right, well, maybe we'll catch you at the show and missed him, you know, pre-show and stuff. And he sent me a text at set break and we had just gotten back up to our seats. He's like, come down. I've got, th- I've got two seats for you and Megan. And so we came down and actually watched the second set with him um, and his wife and daughter like right next to the stage. And then, you know, we get this monster, everything's right. The you enjoy myself, the Ruby waves. I mean, all of those were, you know, almost 14, 15 minutes over that. So you got like a lot of great deep jams and, you know, here I am like hanging out with Carl, watching the show from up close, like seeing the lights and, and like everything really came together. And this day was probably my favorite day of our trip in New York, two of our friends, as I said, came up um, and we met up with them pre-show and hung out with them. And, and one of them, his birthday is the 30th. So after the show, we we had a birthday beer with him before they um, headed out. So it was just that, you know, these were the the couple guys from our crew. And then, you know, Carl's a new friend and um, it just, it just all came together. And, um, you know, and then the end of the show, I like back on the train. I like lonely trip as a ballad, um, yeah. but this was the 12th and I've seen five. So, <laughs> um, you know, and Ruby waves, they play 19 and I've seen seven. So I've seen a lot of those two tunes. Um, Ruby waves is great. I've seen a, they had played a great one at Merriweather a couple years ago. So I'm definitely not complaining about that. And I'm not complaining about lonely trip either. Um, but back on the train, which I also, you know, I love that tune, and but then the zero. Eh. Oh, I I even texted you during that character. Yeah, zero. and you know, and then they, I don't know what the hell happened during the encore, man. It was like they forgot how to play, or or yeah, it was a little rough. 
Should they just shelve Gaiuti? Because I mean, Trey couldn't even do the do the whistling. Um, and, and it's and there's a fine line because he joked about it yeah. during the song. Yeah, he yeah, said he, it's he hard to j- whistle and laugh. Yeah, and there's a very fine line between when you screw up the lyrics, like saying "cavern," when Trey does, and it's funny, and everyone laughs and cheers, and when you mess up the lyrics or whistling or botch the playing of a multi-part instrumental it i don't know i don't know how you fall on the right side of that line but i'm glad i'm not the one on stage who has to figure that part out yeah so this show for me was a was a the probably you know give me the first set and then the first half of the second set yeah Um, I, i could sign on to that yeah which i thought that the night before for me was a complete show top to bottom, no dogs in the set, nothing that I was like, eh, I don't like this tune. There was nothing that I, I didn't want to miss anything. You know what I mean? Here, there was a couple of times where I'm like, nah, all right, I'm going to go and get a drink or yeah. we're moving around or whatever. Well, let's yeah. move on to the 30th. So this time I was completely solo. I was not going with anybody, uh, but I did have a very good time for the a pre-show happy hour, which was sponsored by Osiris Media, uh, at the Moynihan Bar, which is a nice wide bar. There's a lot of space, enough tables. Uh, it's surrounded by food, everything from pizza and burgers, even ramen. So there's a lot of selection there. H and H bagels. Yes, yeah, and there's even <laughs> coffee places. It's going to be the new Penzi. If this Baker's Dozen comes around, um, unlike mm, Penzi, though, it's yeah. all indoors, but it is big. It's easy to locate. It's literally steps from Madison Square Garden and plenty of junk food options around it. It's not a lot seen, but it's what you want in New York City before a fish concert. Yeah, they- it's nice. And I, you know what? I agree because, I mean, when are they ever, is the construction that they're doing around then going to be finished because it didn't look like it to me i mean no. it looked like they were still neck deep in it so they've been working uh, on it forever yeah forever yeah yeah um if if fish plays a hundred more shows at madison square garden we'd be lucky to arrive in that main section of penn station and have it look good at all yeah well uh let's talk about this music though yeah let's do it this was my show so this was this was I mean you know it's twelve thirty so I think there's the anticipation of the date but five song second set uh, my favorite song smack in the middle there um, but the first set I, I mean again no dogs for me down with disease great great opener um, I liked that they put it in the opener of the first set I was anticipating yeah. it being a second setter so lit. I'm glad they got that out of the way. The Momo was interesting. Trey sang the intro instead of Fishman. I don't know if you caught that, which I it I took me a minute. I was like, wait a second, what that's not that's not Fishman singing. And so I thought that that was weird, but that was a good I um, you know, I loved it when it was Black Eyed Katie, and I still love it that it's MoMA dance, you know, and then Pebbles and Marbles. So just that opening. Um, three tunes, I was like, all right, they've got a, a a good groove happening. Certainly nothing spectacular, but like a first set pebbles and marbles um, is fun. And then they get to that theme from the bottom. Yeah, that is where it really happens. I thought this was 
one of the best jams of the night. Top two. Sam Absolutely. being the other contender. A hundred percent agree. Theme was very impressive. And it's not always the case. I like theme from the bottom. And going back to what we were saying earlier, my first show has one of the best themes from the bottoms ever played. There's a great version from, I think the date is November 1st, 2013, uh, New Year's Eve, 2014. City, yeah. yeah. So mm-hmm. there have been versions of theme from the bottom, uh, also in European tours where they've stepped out, but not so much recently. And this one really takes you for a ride. It is worth listening back to. Yeah, this definitely had a little bit of an old school feel and they took it type two and it wasn't just like a a toe dip. I mean, they jammed this pretty hard and deep for probably six or seven minutes. Mm -hmm. Um, And I mean, even the longer, the longer versions that you're talking about, I mean, none of them top out at you know, 25 minutes, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and it's not always length either. No, no. But the, the exploratory components of this at, you know, probably around eight minutes, it, I mean, it's just blast off and yep. Trey hits that bullfrog tone that I really like. Just, I thought it the placement here too, I thought was really good. After the pebbles and marbles, the crowd had kind of gotten into a little bit of a groove there with the first, you know, the opening frame and then, um, you know, a theme and a Reba. What can you say about that? Yeah, it, the Reba was no. technical and tight, and it's been pretty consistent of late. And I loved the way this set ended. Uh, aside from the first night, this is probably my second favorite first set from the whole run. Yeah, I thought that I agree with you. I think like the like the first set of twelve twenty nine. I thought this set went very quickly. I thought it felt like it started, had great jams, and it ended. That was it. And that's always the sign of a really great set. But when they started Run Like an Antelope, I have my favorite story of the whole run. Toward the middle of foam, uh, I I thought I recognized someone who came up to my row and started chatting with someone in the row behind me. And it was Jojo Cassone. And for those of you listening who don't recognize that name, if you've ever listened to the Island Tour, and you've heard the phrase, don't let Karini get you. JoJo was the guy who jumped up on stage. 
and Karini had to chase off. And then throughout the introduction of Antelope, the band teased, you know, if you're going to run on stage, don't let Karini get you. And so I recognized him because he was a guest on my podcast. And so he and I were like, oh, Jojo, O'Brien. You know, we had a really nice moment. And then they started Antelope, which is his song now. That's perfect. So we had this amazing big moment that we recognized each other. We were excited to see one another. And then they started Antelope. And we just both smiled. We didn't have to say anything. We just did like, oh, this is your song. Don't let Karini get you. Like, this yeah. is it. Yeah. And they see, closed it with a pretty strong antelope. This is certain certain amount of symmetry that seems to yeah. have uh, taken place for you over the course of these few nights, buddy. I'm going to take my uh, my inner Jew out, and I'm going to use the word beshert. Okay. Instead what of symmetry. Do you know what that means? All right. It's a Yiddish word. I don't know if it's pronounced beshert or beshert. But it pretty much means synchronicity. Like mm. it's meant to be. Gotcha. Is basically. Like that. Yeah. Yiddish is a great language. Beshert. Beshert. I think that's how it's pronounced. Don't quote me because I don't speak Yiddish. Okay. My grandparents right. did. Uh, but anyway, it that it's that sort of feeling where it's like it had to have happened. Um, and then they play a five song second set. <laughs> yeah. The and second you- set to me, it was almost like a tweezer fest without tweezer. The tweezer in this set was just this awesome energy, energetic jam. And they picked different songs to jump off of it. But the jam was the highway and the different songs were the exits. And they just kept getting back onto the highway throughout. Uh, For me, it's all for me. It's all about sand and you could take it from there. But to me, (laughs) this is going to be my most listened to set of the run. I thought it's the best jamming of the run. It was as if they just jammed a lot and paused occasionally. It's hard to break break it down because everything is in the same vein. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, this this again, I think, is a top to bottom show. No dogs in the set, all gas. I mean, come on with this sand, you know. Mm-hmm. One of the, one of the things, and I I didn't know this. I know that it has been played a lot, but Kevin on Wook Plus said that sand was the most played song. I guess in 2022. Now I didn't fact check that. That's something that I would um, be interested to look up. And if it is, that's fantastic. I love it. Um, It is my favorite song. And this one had everything it had telephone tones.
took a type two. They did some bullfrog stuff, probably about 11 or 12 minutes. They kind of hooked back into the main sand theme for like two seconds. And I was like, God, all right, they're going to, they're going to bring it in for a landing. And then they went back (laughs) off into, you know, another type two Trey hit the bullfrog again. Um, and then jammed it out for another five or six minutes. golden age and the nomads before that i mean you in the golden age it was you had some deep exploration they it was really kind of a tale of two jams there because the first part was like you know rage and rock and roll with golden age and then they went a little bit blissful and kind of moved back and forth in that space and like the second half of that the golden age was straight fire but the sand was was crazy um <laughs> but again like you said, this was a mega jam with a couple of on on and off ramps at various points. The If I Could was a beautiful slowdown. Perfect. Perfect choice. And then- And they broke open. I always wanted it this way. I've been waiting since 2016. I saw the song debut in Charleston. And I remember thinking, first of all, they didn't have the uh, the levels dialed in. Trey's, not Trey, I'm sorry, Paige's uh, synth levels. Like some parts was too loud, some parts was too low. But I remember thinking in the moment in Charleston, if once they get this locked in, this song could become such a rager. It could become such a techno, beat-centered, killer song that Fish could just open completely new universes. Mm -hmm. They haven't got there yet. But this was a big step. This was close. This was close. What, four or five minutes in, they were like, you could have been like an alien on a foreign planet at the dance party.
I mean, I it, more of it. Yeah. it was awesome. My wife was very happy about this. Uh, this is definitely one of those tunes where like, I love Paige singing it. I love the way it sounds. I love the, you know, it, you can listen to it at different parts and hear different things too, you know, coming from the keys and, and Trey's mixing in with that. Um, and I love anything that's page heavy. I'm, I want to start like fans for a more page. <laughs> um, I know a lot of people were complaining about Mike's volume, I guess, on the live fish. I don't know if it's the, the, the webcasts, the webcasts or, or, I didn't really notice anything on the um, app when when I've been in the car, but I don't have that technical of an ear. Hi, everybody. Brian here to welcome you to the set break of today's episode of Attendance Bias. First, thank you for listening. And second, just a quick reminder to tell you that even though Attendance Bias comes to you for free, it does take a lot of work and it does take quite a bit of money to keep the lights on here at production. So I just wanted to ask a small favor if you could support the podcast in any number of the following ways. If you could leave a review or a rating of it on whichever podcast app you use. If you could spread the word telling a friend or someone you think may be interested in it about it. Or probably the most concrete way is to go to www.buymeacoffee.com slash attendance bias and donate however much you can financially to help with the continuing costs of attendance bias. So thank you again so much for listening, and I hope you enjoy the second half of today's episode. So on the 31st, I went in super early to take advantage of Madison Square Garden's half-price concessions which I'm a little upset about because during this run, it's only from 6.30 to 7. And during the Baker's Dozen, it was 6.30 to 7.30. I mean, give us an hour for God's sake. 30 minutes? It takes about 12 or 15 minutes to get to your seat. Yeah. But I went to the Carnegie Deli stand and got a corned beef and pastrami sandwich for $9. Oh. I got to say, that may be, just in terms of pure value for what you get, that might be one of the best values in New York City. We had our, you know, routine uh, as it were uh, down. We definitely enjoyed the culinary options of New York City. That's yeah. that's for sure. Well, the uh, first set was powerful with pretty much what I would call a flawless set list. Tweezer opener. It wasn't a surprise exactly, but it was welcome. I think everyone saw it coming. If not an opener, it was going to be played that night. Uh, Haley's didn't really jump out of the box, but it did keep things moving with what was a perfect, almost practiced segue into Set Your Soul Free. Blew me away. Loved that first set. Yeah, I know there's a lot more to it. I'm just saying, like that opening opening segue really killed me. Uh, Rift and Cavern, I thought it brought us back to like early 90s, just a fun uh, early 90s vibe. Shade, which I like, and I'm liking more and more the more I hear it. And then a classic Mike's groove. Nothing incredible in capital letters, but nothing to sneeze at either. It's really, it's all about what you like, right? Uh, I definitely enjoyed it. I thought the Set Your Soul Free was great. Um, Rift and Cavern, quick run-throughs of those tunes. Always going to be a fan there. Um, the second tweezer I thought was an interesting thing for them to do. 
and not good or bad. I I ha- could hear one dude who I know like saying that it's lazy when they do the constant tweezers, you know, back in the tweezer and in and out of tweezer and oh, fuck that guy. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, uh, here I liked it and, you know, it wasn't like they just played it for a minute or two. They gave you another good chunk of tweezer, which I really liked shade. You know, it's a, it's a good C to a song with your significant other. I, you know, I can really take or leave it. Um, and then, you know, Mike's hydrogen week, a pog standard, but fun. So the, you know, for me, this is this is probably eh, not my favorite first set out of the four, maybe not even in my top three, but very well played. And I was also in a different spot in the venue. We were now behind the stage, so I had a completely different perspective. Um, you know, and even though you are looking at their the back of them, I mean, aside from Paige, who, who moves around, um, you know, you're still pretty close. And, yeah. you know, so, so I like kind of watching the interaction. I like watching train fish. I think and- there's, I think everyone should try to go from every angle at MSG. If you're able to get to shows regularly, don't say no to any seat. I mean, section 226 or 20, maybe say no, but don't say no to the chase bridge. Don't say no to a seat behind the stage. Yeah. You know, don't say no to a seat on the floor or those amazing sections one, two, or three at the back of the floor that are on bleachers. It's worth experiencing that venue from every angle you can if you're so lucky to be able to get those seats. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. And then you get into the second set. Santos, I think, you know, now everybody's like, it's kind of like the bowie or maze <laughs> is it santos or ghost yeah then I-, I thought the 2001 kill devil falls that was my favorite segment of this second set and that kill devil falls i know a lot of people poo poo that song but i like it i, I love it's a great sing-along you know everybody's happy and then you know they get into you know four or five minutes of, of pretty good jamming towards the end of this um and I, I was I was very happy with that. I gotta tell you, after two thousand one, like I like say it to me Santos, I like two thousand one. Right when Kill Devil Falls started, I thought this set took a hard left turn. I don't know how many Seinfeld fans there are out there, but <laughs> to quote Frank Costanza, the way I would say it is, this set, not my kind of set. <laughs> I was I was literally sitting with my chin in my hand for large portions of this set. It was slow. It was boring. <laughs> there wasn't a lot of improvisation going on. Did not love the song choice. And that's yeah. really all I have to complain about. Yeah. I mean, for me, it 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 really turns the the minute they end the Mercury, because I was like, please. Please keep this Mercury going because there's been some fun Mercuries. Um, I've seen a few good ones, and they're just cutting it right at the end of that last segment. There, you know, this is like the light and then number line are are usually good jam vehicles. The light was ten minutes. The number line was brief, and uh, we've talked about number line before, and. I know it's a tune that does cause some divisiveness among the community, but I thought that 
for a second set on New Year's, get, like get rid of the waste, get rid of the drift, the mercury jam out, and then you know save the number line for the encore or you know not at all. I I don't know. I I agree that that for me give give me the light through the end of the set. I know you're you're a couple of songs more than that. But I'm all right with that. I mean, uh, when I say I'm all right with it, as if I have any influence at all. Uh, but I mean, I could enjoy almost any fish song. Well, I and really that's, could. But all of these in a row, like you said, <laughs> on the second uh, set of New Year's Eve. Yeah. Oh, yeah. man. Yeah. Yeah. Just get me to the gag. Right. Well, and then there's the anticipation of that. And it was fairly easy to figure out what was going on. Were you paying attention to the PA music, to the house music in between the second and third set? Not enough that I identified what was, you know, that they were playing um, past New Year's music over the PA. So but, the group um, I was with, we were made up of a couple of real hardcore big time fish nerd slash conspiracy theorists who... Well, I don't know if they're if he's a conspiracy theorist outside of fish, but <laughs> we're the type of guys who like coming up with crazy theories about fish. And I gotta tell you, we put some shit together and we definitely predicted this uh ghosts of New Year's past gag uh while simultaneously I was texting with a friend who literally dreamed it a couple nights before. So this was uh not too surprising although we i couldn't have imagined the scale and the scope and how amazing it looked i was blown away in the moment like i say it every year there's nowhere else to be on new year's eve it's a visual spectacle and i think that's what they're trying to do if you looked around that stage or looked around the venue like there was something incredibly vivid and visual happening, right? And that is what they are trying to create. And I think it was interesting to kind of do the throwback. I liked the like the nostalgic piece. And I was like, oh, I was at that one. I was at that one. Oh, there's the Fishman balloon. And there's um, you know, the Petrachor umbrellas and uh, the wombat running around, and it was it was fun to see, but I mean it wasn't new, right? It was a it was just a lot all at once. I think the one thing that really stood out to me about it, Brian, was the enormity of the things that they have done for an audience in what now almost forty years. Yeah, the enormity of it, the 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 breadth of it, like how different some of them were. You know, the the mocking about how many people they had on stage. Yeah, I mean the choir, the marching band, the the dance troupe. You're talking hundreds of people. Yeah, from start to finish, I would guess over 100 people. Yeah, for sure, I mean, 100. percent Honestly, I, you know, maybe for them, it's a little bit of a reflection back. You know, they've done so much. I'm sure for them, it's hard to keep track of what they've done and then to see it all at once. You know, I think that that kind of has its own message, you know, and whether you thought they should have done that or done something original, well, like that's just a choice that they made that 
you know, you have to live with. So tough shit. <laughs> um, you know, whether it had meaning, you know, beyond just a thing that they do on New Year's. Oh, well, I think it definitely did. My favorite New Year's gag that I've ever seen is the Jemp truck set from 2013 because Fish literally created a time machine. I want to say literally, I understand what I'm saying. Uh, they created, they recreated a scene that I would guess 99.9% of people in the audience never saw. Yeah. Fish playing literally feet or inches from one another with, with their old gear to the point where microphones are taped to hockey sticks because yeah. they didn't have the gag playing music. I think the latest song, and I could be wrong on this was written, was split open and melt in that set. And that was written in like 1989. Yeah. So no one in that room, I would guess, aside from the band members themselves and whatever close crew members they had was around to see that. So they recreated it for us and for themselves. And it should not go unnoticed that that was their 30 year anniversary for that one 10 yep. years ago. So this one was that same idea to the nth degree. It wasn't just one scene recreated for everyone. It was dozens of, of scenes, all every scene yeah. recreated for everyone. So if you weren't able to get tickets or couldn't make it to New York for the, um, I don't know, for whichever gag for the, the 95, Game Henge Time Factory, if you couldn't make it to Atlantic City for the Wombat Dance, if you couldn't make it to uh, Miami. Vegas for Sci-Fi Soldier right. or Casvot or now Chilling you saw Thrilling. Yeah. Now you saw it. Sort of. <laughs> yeah. And and it was so satisfying. Yeah. And emotional and sentimental. And for the, the fans like us, you and I, I'm speaking about, who love this band so much and have seen video or if you haven't seen video probably read up on some of these gags and this these theatrics now you could see sort of what it looked like and yeah. to me that's more meaningful than almost anything beside the music and to relive the ones that you experienced yeah you know that you were a part of and you know you're talking about your favorite i mean my favorite gag musically and my favorite gag visually, I wasn't at either of them. Um, the musically was Petrichor, and the visual was the Soul Planet when they turned the stage into a ship. And I wasn't at either of those. But I mean, I was at Big Cypress, and I can't. I have the poster of Father Time on the bike, and I have the t shirt. And um, I mean, that whole thing with him. You know, feeding the hot dogs and the way it all connected. And it just, you know, that holy shit, these guys have done so much. And, you know, I think there was also maybe a little bit of a pang of, all right, you know, what is next? If they're going to do a residency, right, in New York City, so is there going to be a spring tour? You know, are we going to see, I know that the sphere or whatever in Vegas is supposed to open in September. Like, are they going to do Halloween and then they're going to do this, you know, Baker's run. Is there going to be a festival for 40 years? You know, like, I, I don't know. I've got a lot of questions <laughs> and then, it, and kind of like, 
you know, is there a part of them that's like saying goodbye? I think that's not too far off. I think they've got less than 10 years. And I don't, and I don't, you know, I'm not like a conspiracy. Like, I think they're all having a great time and everybody's healthy and well. I mean, from what I know, which is nothing, um, <laughs> you know, I just know that we're they're, just two schmucks with microphones. Yeah. We who, you know, go and have a great time and, and still see that they are having fun. You know, I was thinking about it earlier. I was like, what, Trey's 57. I mean, Bob and Phil play still, you know, Phil's over 80. Yeah, those guys are going to die with guitars around their necks. Yeah, and right. And so, you know, is it is it they just don't, you know, eventually they just won't play as much, you know, and 40 shows a year will turn into 25 or turn into 15 or, you know, they do, you know, a couple of runs here and there, you know, so... <laughs> Excuse me. I was just thinking a little introspectively, you know, especially afterwards as you're processing and all, and you're like, you know, they just laid out 40 years of history right in front of us. And, you know, not to get too deep on it, but, you know, is there, is there something, you know, some sort of hidden angle of showing all of that? Yeah. Maybe, well, maybe it is time to take stock. I turned 40 this year. You know, I, it's not, <laughs> it's not that unusual to kind of look back and see, how long you've been doing something, you know, I, when, when I'm at work and I don't want to get too, too personal, but I'm one of the more senior members of my department and I still feel like I have imposter syndrome, mm. but when you look at it and I've been at my job 16 years, that's not nothing. And mm. for fish to be doing their job for 40 years, holy shit. I can't even imagine. Yeah. God, it's like, God, if I work for 40 years, oh, like I'm gonna need to retire. <laughs> I, like I want to retire, right. but I guess it's different when you're a fucking rock and roll star. Yeah. <laughs> well, JW, let me ask you this. Let's assume for ten seconds that the Baker's Dozen Two is happening. Top of your head, don't think about it for more than a second. How many shows you're gonna hit? Let's see. My might. My wife might listen to this, so I'll say ten of sixteen. That was gonna be mine too. Somewhere between ten and twelve. Right, because you know. Well, it's so expensive. It's right. I was just in tickets. <laughs> just in tickets, you know. And um, you know, we could do some commuting into the city, which I'm sure would be would you know be reasonable. But um, you know, it, it, it becomes more of a process. Um, you know, the the longer you're in one place, right? Because it's you're not you don't need a place to crash for one night or you know, two nights or a weekend or whatever it might be. This is like, you know, and, and, and right. And how are they going to break it down too? Because when they did the Bakers, they played Tuesday, Wednesday, took off Thursday, played Friday, Friday Saturday, Saturday Sunday. Sunday, took off Monday. So like they're going to do that for three consecutive weeks. When basically. you say it that way, it doesn't sound that hard. <laughs> well, anyway, it was a good run. Yeah. Again, with lots of food for thought, for sure. You know what? The good thing about this this run of shows, just getting back to the the focus at hand here, there's a lot of re-listenability to this, right? I yep. think if you 
you know, you can pick and choose the songs that you like. There's good versions of pretty much anything except for Gaiuti and Possum, right? <laughs> um, there's a good hood. You've got a couple of the heavy hitters with Tweezer and Yem. You've got some of the the you know the new tunes that they enjoy playing in Everything's Right. I always wanted it this way. Always wanted it this way. A good jammed out golden age, something new from sci-fi soldier with which is the howling the howling up yep. you know everybody loves ariba so i think the run over of monster sand i think the run overall was a success the worst night for me is is musically you know probably number four would be 1231 the third set aside um and i you know i kind of judge it on the first and the second set and then the third set's kind of its own thing here yeah um, but the third set was very cool and I was very glad to be a part of it and that we got to move up. And, you know, at the end of the day, what we get the opportunity to do is just so special. I just have so much gratitude for the opportunity to do it and that we can do it and that, you know, my wife and I are fortunate enough and healthy enough and all of the things that go into it because getting to shows is you know, it's a process and and I know it's not the easiest thing for a lot of people. And so, you know, there's just the opportunity to experience it and um, be a part of it is, is special. It's a special community and, um, you know, it's so unique and for us to kind of, you know, all meet from across the country in New York city for four days every year. It's just, there's just something incredible about it that you just want to try and recapture every time you get the opportunity all right jw well we'll pick it up next time there's anything to recap hey man i appreciate you thanks for uh setting this up and uh as always it's great to see and and uh talk music with you and um let's do it again And that's it for the 2022-2023 Fish Madison Square Garden Holiday One Recap with myself, Brian, and JW from the Stub Knee Down Podcast. There's not going to be any sort of fact check today. This was just a quick and dirty recording. We wanted to get it done as quickly as possible, as close to the run and the shows as we could, so that it stayed fresh in our minds and in your minds as the listener. But please join me next week for a more traditional and usual episode of Attendance Bias. And as usual, you could find Stub Me Down and Attendance Bias wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you again for listening and Happy New Year, everyone.